0: All right, we're going to get into the word of the Lord tonight. Are we ready in the back? Let's go ahead and open with prayer. Oh man, what a presence of God here tonight. Lord, we thank you tonight as we come in Jesus' name through his blood. I thank you for an open heaven, your glory, Holy Spirit as you come to anoint and empower this time and glorify Christ. Lord Jesus, as you're in our midst, and Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit, even now that the Spirit of God is moving upon every person that's going to be listening or watching, Lord, to give the Lord their best ear, their full attention, their focus. And I thank you, Lord, for getting this word in us and transforming us tonight. It's as living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And, Lord, I thank you for the winds of your spirit carrying this out among the nations. It will get where it's supposed to accomplish what it's supposed to. And this will be a powerful time in you that we learn and grow. And, Lord, again, we thank you for it. And I thank you also that the Bible says that the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So we're going to take authority. And we bind up anything that would try to hinder this from getting where it's supposed to accomplish and what it's supposed to. We command that it's bound it goes from us now in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I thank you that the word will not return void but will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So we commit this unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Whew. There's, the presence of the Lord is strong here tonight. Um, I wanted to dive into something tonight. Dealing with wolves among the sheep. The counterfeit church. You know, I've been in, in this kind of a, a bit of a bubble, if you will. A river of life of predominantly really good people that love the Lord for so long. And we had gotten into a situation where we got, had to get around a different group of people that profess Christianity. But boy, was it a wake-up call for my wife and I. And I tell you what, um, there's a lot of tears among the wheat. Amen? And so, uh, anyway, I just want to dive into this because I feel like this is such a problem. And so we're going to deal with the real church versus the counterfeit church. And then next week, I'm going to continue in these lines, but I'm going to deal with something maybe you haven't heard before in in the way of what truth actually is and and about deception, things like that. So tonight, let's look at Revelation chapter three, verse fourteen. So anybody that knows about the the seven churches in Revelation two and three, you know that it is also a timeline. And so they' are little epistles from Jesus Christ to the church. And there's so much to glean from them, but one of the aspects of it is, is they're like a timeline through history. The church of Ephesus was the early church, and then the church of Laodicea is a warning to the last day church. And how many can see that we're living in the last days, and there's a lot of like that Laodicean deception out there. So let me just read this. To the angel of the church in Laodicea right? The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, which means vomit you out. So it does make the Lord nauseous. And he says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind and naked. So that's the condition of a lot of people out there today in the American church. They think that they're fine, but the Lord doesn't think that they're fine. And then in verse 18, I advise you, Jesus says, to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may become rich in white garments so you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so you can see. So gold refined in the fire I believe here is the purifying work of the Holy Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The white garments are where you confess and repent of your sin, and you're cleansed. Amen? And then the uh, anointing your eyes is so that you can have vision, to be able to see the way God sees it. And Jesus said, those whom I love, I I reprove and discipline. Let me tell you, if God is not concerned about you, you're not going to be getting in trouble at times. But God disciplines those he loves. So don't get upset when God's dealing with you and putting you through trials. And, and he's doing things in your life that may be uncomfortable. He's doing that because he loves you. And then it says, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and him with me. So the Lord standing at the door, he needs to be welcomed in. And I think that that's the Laodicean church. It becomes something that's run like a business, and they're not really concerned about the presence of God. And it's just a religious ritual and a social club. Listen, I want the Lord in the house. Amen. I want to have his presence, his power, and his fellowship. And so I talked last week about the menorah and it being the, the word and the spirit, and it's God's family tree. God has given us as his family, he's given us his pure word. And he's given us the pure Holy Spirit. And let me tell you tonight, I, I want to mention this. There's been a great attack on the Word of God over the last couple of decades to try to discredit it and try to pervert it. And I believe in the days to come that it's going to increase the attack on the Word. And to the degree that it could be kind of uh, scrubbed off the Internet, it may not be possible to get it on your phone any longer. And that's one of the reasons why I've had such a burden to to try to get together some type of this, you know, I call it the Bible project right now, but our ministry putting out a really good Bible, and I've I've really put a lot of thought and prayer into it, that it's going to be a pure from the Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, I mean just a pure word of God. Okay? Make sure it's a very accurate translation. And also the pure move of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about that tonight too. That there's no mixture. Amen. And so Jesus said, I stand at the door, knock, hear my voice, open up, and I'll come in. And it says, Jesus says here, he that overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne. Also, uh, as I also over, overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So we can see here the tendency to be lukewarm. And there's a lot of things I can say, but it's grieved me, and I'm sure it has you, the condition of the overall church in America. Because I was I was really involved in the 90s revivals, and I saw a very different church world than is today. And so for me, it's, it's uh, grievous. So I'm going to just touch on these topics right here I'm getting into because for the sake of time, I cannot really dwell on them because I'm going to get down into Cain and Abel and all of that. But just to say this, it needs to be said. The Bible is clear that in these last days, there would be great deception. And as I've heard it said, the danger of deception is those that are deceived don't think they're deceived. And so Jesus said it was even possible for the elect to be deceived. But then he says, if it were possible, meaning that they can't be. Why? Because God will keep it from them. That's the only reason. The deception is going to be so thick that the very elect would be except that God will protect them from it. And God is protecting us in a couple of ways, not the least of which is He gives us His Word and His Spirit. But Jesus said when He talked about the last days, He said in Matthew 24, the very first thing, be careful that no one deceive you. Okay? And then in Second Th- Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about how there'd be a falling away of the faith and how there would be a, a counterfeit move and that uh, the work of the Antichrist and false prophet coming forth would be with counterfeit signs and wonders and all that. But then it goes on to say in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. It says, because people did not love the truth. They were given over to a delusion to believe a lie. So if I could simplify that and just say this, because they didn't love the truth, they were given over to deception. And so it is so important for us to love the truth. I'll talk about it next week because I cannot really dwell on it. But what is truth? It's not as simple as you think. The answer is not as simple as what. So first off, the truth is Jesus Christ. Amen. But Jesus said it's also his word. And he talks about the spirit. I'm going to get into that next week. But the pure ministry of Jesus Christ that we know the real Jesus. Because how many knows there's other Jesus is out there? And that the pure word of God and the pure work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so those that love the truth. And then First Timothy 4 verse 1. It says, in the latter days, some will abandon the faith. Or depart from the faith. You can't depart from something you were never in. This is a departure. And why? Because it says there they give heed. They listen to demonic spirits. And the doctrines of demons, the teachings of those demons. And because they are deceived, they abandon. They walk away from the Lord. In Second Thessalonians 2, remember a great falling away, and apostasy I talked about last week. They walked with the Lord, but then they turned their back on Him and went the other way. So this is happening. We're in a time of great deception. But the Lord's going to keep His true elect. Amen? Doesn't that encourage you? So it should humble all of us to know that it is possible for anybody to be deceived except the fact that God's going to keep us. Now let me tell you a great uh, important point here. Fear can lead into deception. And let me explain why. I'll say it this way. I have faith in the Lord to keep me. I'm not going to live in fear that the devil is going to deceive me. And God will keep me. The one who's in me is greater than he that's in this world. All right. So also, Jesus, okay, I can't dwell on this. I'm just going to go through it quickly. But false prophets, false apostles, false teachers. The Bible is very clear that we are to test all things and hold fast to that which is good. And I think that everybody that listens to my teaching and is associated with River of Life agrees with me. But There's some goofy stuff out there where people feel like if you question things that you're a critic or something. No, and I say this lovingly, but we're just not stupid. Amen. And the Bible says to test all things and hold fast to that which is good. And so there are false prophets. Jesus said there were. There are false apostles and satanic ministers. The Bible says those words. And there are false teachers. So let me put it in context and move on. But Jesus said, be careful of false prophets that come to you as wolves in sheep's clothing. And so we know that not everybody that says they're a prophet is a prophet. Also, false apostles. In the book of Revelations, uh, whenever it talks about Revelation, I mean, when it talks to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, one of the commendations that Jesus gave to one of the churches was, you've tested those that said they were apostles and are not. And Jesus commended them for that. Now, the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15 that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, therefore his ministers would masquerade as ministers of righteousness. So we know that there are false apostles, there are satanic ministers, and also there's false teachers. Revelation 2.20. It says that the church in Thyatira, they apparently had a a woman in there that had a Jezebel spirit, and the Lord rebuked them because this woman was teaching. First off, she called herself a prophet. But how many knows that she wasn't a real one? And then she taught. She was a teacher. And she was teaching god's servants leading them astray into idolatry and immorality and the lord really rebuked this he said he was basically saying you better get that out of your church because it's going to bring judgment if you don't and i think about scriptures like in you want to read first corinthians 12 13 and 14 about the gifts i mean paul he says i speak in tongues more than you all he talks about how you utter mysteries and how you edify yourself and the Apostle Paul is very for the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, he said, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So it's a very positive thing. But one of, the only aspect I really want to dwell on was he said this. He said, listen, when somebody's prophesying, have two or three that are listening and judging it to make sure it's really the Lord. Have you ever read that? So the Bible commends us that we test the Spirit's, That we test things, we look at the fruit, we make sure is it of God or not. Amen? How many can see that? The Lord is commending people that do that. It's not critical and it's not mean. It's just being intelligent and wise and making sure that, like the Bereans, that when they're teaching, the Bereans were following along in the scriptures to just simply make sure is what he's saying true. And whenever they realized he is telling us the truth, they accepted the truth but they didn't just blindly accept it they wanted to make sure and so i'm i'm very open to a move of god just like all of you but i want a pure move of god and one of the greatest ways satan can kill a real move of god is to put in some mixture in there all right so great deception the lord's going to keep his elect that we discern the false from the real now uh, 1 Timothy 4 says doctrines of demons. Now, this is not exhaustive by any means, but I'm just going to say a couple in passing. But here's some in our day that's an insanely pervasive. Number one, hyper-Calvinism. You know, I understand that, that God knew beforehand who are His. I mean, everybody knows that. But hyper-Calvinism is that, let me say it this way, it's like you have ten people, five are predestined to heaven, five predestined to hell, and there's nothing to do about it. That's just the way it is. How I many knows there's something weird there? And then it leads into once saved, have always saved. Whenever the Bible says that your name can be blotted out of the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And the teaching of hyper-Calvinism, and I've been around it and I've seen the fruit of it. So I say this as one who knows. The teaching of hyper-Calvinism leads people to believe that they had very little to do with their salvation, that God simply chose them. And it leads them to believe that nothing that they can do can make them lose it. So there's no fear of God. They go out, I'm just telling you because I've seen it, they go out and live in sin and don't think anything of it. They have no fear of God. And let me just say this really clear. Please make sure that you're born again that you have repented of your sins and things are right with you in the Lord, okay? Because anybody living in sin is not going to make it through those pearly gates. I'm just telling you. I'm saying it in love. And the other one is hyper-grace. Well, that leads right into hyper-grace. You know what this crazy teaching is? That Jesus, we all know He paid for everything on the cross. Everybody knows that. But they take it a step further into deception when they present it this way. That you can basically live in sin because everything was already paid for. So your future sins are already paid for. You see what I'm saying? That reminds me a little bit of the indulgences of the Catholic church back in the day that Martin Luther got so mad about because they were paying for, to go out and sin. Hyper grace is not real. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes said there's actually nothing new under the sun. These, these new things that we think are new rather that are deceptions have been there all along. And so this great deception of hyper-grace has made people live in sin because they think that they can get away with it. And you know what they're doing? They're doing exactly what Paul said, do not use God's grace as a license to sin. And that's exactly what they're doing. Number three, preterism. Preterism is just one of those $50 words, but it means this, they believe that all prophecy has already happened. I remember when I was looking at that, what came to my mind was, are you insane? Have you lost your mind? How could anybody believe that? I really thought that. And, and, I, and I got to looking at it, but they believe with all of their heart, I guess that there's different views, but the Antichrist and all that, all of that has already happened. They believe all everything's behind us. And so what does that produce? That produced no fear of God. Let me tell you. What we've got to be careful of is this. How many knows Jesus is coming? And he's coming as a thief in the night. And I grew up under preaching that made me realize I better be ready when Jesus comes like a thief in the night. And, you know, let me give you kind of a silly example. But whenever uh, the head of the home is out doing something else, the kids do whatever they do. And then whenever they know that he's coming back home, they start cleaning everything up. Don't they? (laughs) How many have kids and you have stories? Okay. Well, when you know that Jesus is coming back as a thief in the night and you have a healthy fear of God, you're realizing, hey, I better make sure that I'm right. That's a good thing. How many knows the Bible delights in the the Bible says Jesus delights in the fear of the Lord? It's a good thing to have a healthy fear of God where we're thinking to ourselves, I want to live as though he's coming today. I want to make sure that I'm right with him. And then you have cessationism. This is a belief that all the supernatural power of God, all the gifts, anything like that, died with the early church. That's a, that's a false doctrine, and a, it's a just a flat-out heresy. The one how many knows Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the one who healed then is healing now and will heal a year from now. He's he's never changed. This is just simply a false doctrine, but people teach that. And, and, it, and it creates this powerlessness in the church. These doctrines of demons, these heresies, are leading people astray. It's causing people to live in unrepentant sin, to not have a healthy fear of God. And there's no power, there's no ministry and power of the Holy Spirit To do what needs to be done in the church. Because how many have ever felt convicted of the Holy Spirit before? How many have ever felt you did something you shouldn't have done? And maybe you were sitting in church or maybe at home. But you felt guilty. You felt that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Like I need to get things right. How many have ever felt that in your life at some point? wave at me if you haven't felt that i'm kind of concerned that you maybe need to sincerely get saved because the holy spirit if he's in you he's not gonna let you get away with stuff and when the holy spirit's ministry is in the church he's not gonna let the church get away with stuff there's going to be a conviction to deal with sin amen jesus taught that read john 14:15 uh, 14 15, and 16 when the holy spirit comes he will convict of sin and lead you into all righteousness So the Holy Spirit will take of what's the Lord's and will give it to you. He's going to deal with things. But when you have these these false doctrines, and this is next week's sermon, but when you have another Jesus, you also have a different gospel, you have a different word, and you have a different spirit. And sometimes when you get these weird uh, heresies, these false doctrines and all this, you bring in another spirit. And you know what it is? A religious spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not present in power. It's something else. If you're going to preach heresy like that garbage, you're leading people astray. And you're allowing another spirit to be at work. I'm just saying. And so we need to deal with this stuff. Okay, so any, and let me say this and move on. I've said this my entire ministry. Anybody that's teaching anything that makes you feel comfortable in sin... You need to get away from that. That is false doctrine. It's false teaching. And it's sending people to hell. Somebody that's a real man or woman of God. That's telling it like it is. The truth. You're going to squirm sometimes. You're going to feel a little uncomfortable. You're going to be convicted of things. And that's a good thing. I remember at Brownsville. That was one of the things that. There was a man. uh, Richard Crisco. Used to get up and talk to all those people. Got saved you know. And they'd be. There's all these people down there. And he would be telling them to get the sin out and all that but he would say this he said now when you go back home you need to find a good church and he would say you know what a good church is it's where they're going to preach the truth to you and you're going to feel guilty about your sin you're going to be convicted and when they're preaching you're going to be squirming in your pew because you're uncomfortable because your sin is being dealt with he said go find that church and go there that's good all right all right so let me get into where I was going with this. So I've been dealing with wolves among the sheep and tares among the wheat. And this is where I want to go in this particular sermon. Next week, I've got a, a really interesting sermon. There's some things in there maybe you've never thought about, you've never heard. And I'm looking forward to preaching that. But tonight, I want to talk about where did all this really truly begin? You know, Think about it. Because we, we talk about today, you know, I heard somebody say jokingly, but it's kind of true. He was saying, the Pharisees and Sadducees also are the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> and I just kind of laughed. Because you know, he was mad when he said it, but it's true. But where did, where did all this really, truly originate from? Do you remember reading whenever Adam and Eve fell and God confronted that and he was dealing with them? And in the course of that discourse between God and Adam and Eve, God told Eve and Adam, but he told her, he said, now listen, there's going to be enmity between the woman and the serpent, between your seed and his. And he said, though the enemy may strike his heel, talking about Jesus. So basically, think about this. God gave them the gospel. He basically was saying, if I could paraphrase it, and I don't believe I'm doing any injustice at all, he was basically saying from the woman will come a Messiah. And Satan will strike his heel, that's the cross, but the Messiah will crush the head of that serpent. In other words, he'll he'll defeat him. And how many of you guys realize Satan knew what was being said there? And he began to really target the, the seed of the woman. Okay, I don't want to get into a big long thing about that. But it didn't take long. Sin does not take long to really cause serious problems. I mean, it was the next generation with Cain and Abel. The next generation. That there was so much sin that Cain murdered his own brother. Now, what was it about? I'm going to show you something. When God gave the gospel to Adam and Eve, God showed them in that. And again, I'm paraphrasing this, but I really believe this to be true. I believe Adam fully understood the gospel. And God showed him, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And God himself, it says, killed an animal, and then he clothed them in skins. I'm going to come back to those skins later, okay? But think about the fact Adam and Eve, they lost the glory that was on them because they sinned. But God clothed them in animal skins, which would have been very humble garments okay but they wore these garments as a constant reminder and adam understood this he understood that there had to be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin and he understood that when they were sacrificing an animal that they were doing that looking to the future of the one that would come and would fulfill that so before the cross everybody down through the ages that sacrificed animals they were doing that in faith In the one to come. That would be the ultimate sacrifice. And so Adam had a revelation of the gospel. And it initiated there by God a priesthood that we really don't know a lot about. But we see pictures of it like in the order of Melchizedek. You see for example. You remember how Moses' father-in-law Jethro was a priest of Midian. Do you remember how Melchizedek was a priest of Salem. And you remember Job. Job was, he would have been one as a righteous man that would have understood that priesthood and that he was the the priest of his family, if you will. And he built an altar. So picture that for a moment, gathering together a bunch of different stones and all that and kind of building in your backyard an altar back then to God. It wasn't to other gods, it was to the one true God. And whenever a course of his family Feasting and celebrating and doing all the things they were doing. Job said, you know, maybe somebody sinned in their heart. And so Job, being a righteous man, would take an animal out there. He would sacrifice that animal to God. And he believed that the blood of that animal would cleanse his family. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So he would offer that animal there. And he believed. And it was so powerful what Job was doing that Satan himself came to God and said, I can't touch the man. I can't touch his family. There's a hedge of protection around him. And so there was that priesthood. Now, keep that in mind with Cain and Abel. Please look this way and hear this, because if you don't get this, you may not really understand the rest of the sermon. So Adam, no doubt in my mind, would have gave that understanding to Abel and to Cain. So this isn't a matter of them not understanding something. Adam, no doubt, would have told them this. That there is a Messiah coming. And that God showed me directly that by the shedding of blood, there's forgiveness of sins. And we're looking for the one to come. He gave Cain and Abel the gospel. If you will. And he gave them what to do. But what did they do? Abel was humble listened to his dad. He believed. He understood and believed the gospel. And he brought an animal to God and he offered it as an offering. And God accepted it. Cain heard the same message from Adam. He understood to a degree what he was saying, but Cain was rebellious and didn't want to do that. And he brought fruits and vegetables, grains, whatever he brought and said it there. Now, many scholars believe, and I think there's some truth to this, That there had to be something that God did to show that he accepted Abel's and rejected Cain's. And so Bible scholars have speculated that maybe like a fire from God consumed Abel's offering. And by doing so, God was saying, this is what is pleasing to me. This is what I accept. But Cain didn't want to do it that way. How many knows that's just straight out rebellion, isn't it? So Cain was offering the fruit of a cursed earth. And it was based on the works of his hands. It was based on works. And God did not accept it. So let me show you some things because all of this is relevant for today and going into the end times. So please look this way and try to grasp this because this is where it all began. You say, where did religion versus relationship begin? Where did like a harlot church versus a true bride, where did all this begin? It began with Cain and Abel. So number one, here's the differences. Abel received divine revelation. How many knows that you've got to get a revelation? I can get out there today and I can speak to a 100 people about Jesus and probably overwhelming majority of them know who Jesus was historically Well, he was this guy that came and he said he was the son of God. He died on the cross. But how many knows that's not necessarily going to save them? They've got to get a revelation for themselves of him being their Savior and them needing a Savior that produces a new birth. There's just a difference. You can know about the Lord versus actually knowing him. Abel had revelation. And the Bible says this in Hebrews 11. Please get this. By faith, Abel offered a better offering that was received, right? And then Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing. They both heard from Adam, but Abel believed. There was some type of an understanding. See, the harlot church, the counterfeit church that's out there, the tares among the wheat, they know about the Lord, but they don't know him. You can quote scripture, so let's just get back to some of my roots that I grew up spiritually in tonight, okay? You can quote scripture and still go to hell. You can go to church and still go to hell. You can die with a communion wafer in your mouth, okay? Baptismal water's dripping from your face, and still go to hell. Religion is not going to save you. Cain was religious. Abel was righteous. So Abel had divine revelation. The second difference was Abel was obedient and had faith. Cain was disobedient and based it on works. How I many of those works will never save you? So what does religion produce? Cain's religion was full of pride and being rebellious. Cain's religion, even though it was religious, it produces, produced jealousy. How many knows that the descendants, spiritually speaking, of Cain and Cain's religion have traveled all down through these millennia and you see it over and over and over again that there was religious people that persecuted the righteous. It was the religious people that killed the prophets in Israel. It was religious Pharisees and Sadducees that hated Jesus enough to try to kill him so it's always been the religious but why did the Pharisees want Jesus dead John said this in his gospel because they were jealous why did Cain kill Abel he was jealous Cain's religion produces a jealousy of those that are actually right so pride jealousy and also Cain's religion always produces an unhealthy fear and it it causes man's control How many knows we want the Holy Spirit to be in control? But see, religious people don't want the Holy Spirit in control. They want to be in control. Is this making sense? The next thing that's the difference between Cain and Abel. Abel's offering dealt with the remedy of sin. While Cain's did not. and was a product of the fallen earth and the works of men. But Abel's offering dealt with the remedy of sin. That's so important because how many people out there today in all these different religions all over the world think that by the things they do, if I'm good enough, if I work hard enough, if I do this, if I do that, I will be saved. Nothing will save you but the blood of Jesus Christ. And see, Abel's offering dealt with that. It was the remedy of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Let me tell you something crazy. Among the Orthodox and Hasidic Jews and all that, did you know it's actually in um, the Talmud that it says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins? It says that. But you can know about it or you can actually have revelation of it. And then, also another thing, Abel's offering. There was a supernatural acceptance. There had to be. We don't know because the Bible didn't say what God did, but God did something that caused Abel's offering to appear accepted and Cain's to appear rejected. So please catch this today a supernatural acceptance. God supernaturally showed his acceptance. Did you know that that's really the greatest problem right now between the righteous and the religious today? It always has been. That those that are religious and have a religious spirit and they may not even be born of God or right at all, it's kind of like Cain's spiritual descendants, if you will, they're jealous of those of us that have been born again, spirit-filled, and we have the supernatural. uh, God is showing his acceptance. Does that make sense? And they may not see it that way, but that's really what it's rooted in is a jealousy of the fact that God has given his spirit and shows his acceptance to this group. And this group over here has not got that. And so they're angry at the ones that have received it. Cain's religion. Now we're going somewhere. Cain's religion produced a harlot, church, and a murderer. Abel's religion produced a bride for Christ and a martyr. Think about it. So let's go back through the ages. So Cain's spiritual descendants, if you will, those that are religious without relationship, those that are works-based, those that are very, uh, you know, it's, a, it's just uh, earning your salvation. Cain's religious descendants, they were the ones, like I said before, that killed the prophets and persecuted the righteous. And one of the greatest ways that you can see this is in the days of Jezebel, in the, in the, uh, during the days of Elijah and Jezebel. Jezebel married Ahab and set up Baal worship in Israel. But you remember how Ahab, he wanted Naboth's vineyard. Naboth was a righteous man. And he would not give Ahab his vineyard. But Jezebel resorted to manipulation. She took her husband's signet ring and used it. And she usurped his authority. She manipulated things to, listen to what I'm saying, to kill Naboth. She was the one that was extremely religious. And she had, I mean, hundreds of false prophets. But what did she do? She manipulated things to kill the true prophets to the degree that Elijah felt like he was the only one left. He wasn't, but he felt like that because so many prophets had been killed by Jezebel. So in those days, you can see those that were religious. It was like a harlot church. They were religious, if you will, but they were the ones that persecuted the righteous and had them killed. And listen to what I'm saying. Y'all need to understand this, that there's people that will call themselves Christians, but they're not. And they will be accepting of things that true Christians are not accepting of. They'll be comfortable with abortion. They'll be comfortable with sexual immorality. They they will be those that, that may be drunkards or swindlers or liars or foul mouth or whatever they're not really Christians they call themselves that and they may go to church sometimes but hear what I'm saying they will hate the real Christians and persecute them and see in the last days I'm going to this you know here in a moment but in the last days what do you see in Revelation you see that this harlot church emerges and they're clothed in purple and fine linen they look so good outwardly But what are they doing? They're drunk with the blood of the martyrs because they're overseeing the martyrdom of the true Christians. So there you see like it reaches its fullness and that you have Cain's religion coming to its fullness. And then you have Abel's religion, if you will, being the martyrs and the righteous and those that are faithful to Lord Jesus Christ. And so the religious have always persecuted the true people of God. And and it's the same today. The institutionalized church is the very ones that have always persecuted revival. As I've taught you guys many times, you're well aware of. John Wesley thought, you know, hey, my dad was an Anglican pastor. I could go back, now that he accepted the Lord, he had a a a burning, like a strange warmth in his heart. He thought to himself, hey, I can go back to the Anglicans, and surely they would want to know this gospel that I got from the Moravians. Surely they would want to know the truth. And so he goes and even ministers at his own father's church, which his father wasn't there anymore, but they knew him. He thought to himself, surely they they ran him out. The institutionalized church persecuted John Wesley and his gospel to the degree that he couldn't even preach in the churches. He had to go preaching in the streets, yet it led to the Great Awakening. Isn't that something? I think about Roman Catholicism's rise in the 4th century. And how that began to totally snuff out the true gospel and it became Roman Catholicism became this religious monster that anybody that was a true Christian would be hunted down and killed and labeled a heretic by them. And today I think about the anti-Holy Spirit crowd that every time God pours out his spirit did God not tell us in the Old and the New Testament both in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Are we in the last days? Is God pouring out his spirit? I mean, it's as clear as the nose on your face, right? Yet this anti-Holy Spirit crowd will sit up there and they will mock that revival. They will call them a bunch of flakes and nuts and make fun of them. They will persecute them. They'll write books about it. They'll make videos about it. They blaspheme and mock it and everything they can to persecute it. Why? Cain's religion versus the true and that leads me to this, and then I'm going to close out with a couple more thoughts, okay? But I want you to understand the difference between the soulish and the true, truly of the spirit. So please catch what I'm saying here. Listen to this. You know, the, the book of Hebrews says the word of the Lord is like a sword dividing spirit and soul. I want everybody to grasp this and really, really understand this, because this is very dangerous what I'm talking about here. The book of James says this superficial wisdom is not such as comes down from above. But it is earthly, soulish, and then demonic. Okay? Everybody say earthly, soulish, and demonic. I want everybody to really get this. Don't be distracted by anything because this is something that will give you true discernment. Okay? So when I was studying this, earthly... I looked up the Greek word and it implies actually of this earth or natural, okay? So how many knows that there's a big difference between the things of the Spirit and the things of this world? I mean, there just is. And the people that understand the things of the Spirit versus the things that are of this world, there's a big difference between the two, okay? Soulish. So there's some things that are uh, intellectual and emotional, but they're not of the Spirit. That's the deadly part. Because so many people do not know the difference between the soulish and the Spirit. Somebody can go and they can watch a sad movie and they're moved by it and they weep. And they'll do the same thing in church. I mean, certain things will happen and they're moved emotionally and they'll weep. But that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. That's just your emotions. Hello? There can be really good intellectual arguments and people make good points. They're very intelligent and it stimulates the mind. But how many knows that just because that's the case it doesn't mean it's of the Spirit? You have to be careful to understand the difference between something that's just soulish versus something truly of the Spirit. And some people have a really hard time with this. But just because, and the word there in the Greek is suke, and it actually means like the psychological. It means of your soul. So that is the best translation is soulish. It's of the human mind. And I think that that's where things are right now in much of the body of Christ. It is It left the spirit, and it's now just in the realm of the soul. So let me show you how that works. People get caught up in the worship. There, there's wonderful motivational speeches that make them what feel good their soul there's entertainment which makes the emotions feel good there's a social club which appeases to their emotions and there's programs that they get excited about it's emotional it's it's intellectually stimulating it's something that 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 ministers to the soul but yet spiritually they're dying You have to understand the difference. And this can get very deadly because somebody, you know, how many times do we read about in the scriptures where the Lord says things like this and like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah. He said, these people that, that are calling themselves prophets, they're not speaking of me. They're getting that out of their own mind. Soulish. You have to learn to distinguish between what's of the soul versus what's of the spirit just because something moves your emotions doesn't mean anything it may it, the world can do that i think about even the energy in worship i love good worship i mean i feel like that our worship here people love the worship and i love good worship but you there's a difference between get, getting caught up in the energy of a worship set versus the real actual move of the holy spirit it's just a difference and it goes down 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 so it's earthly soulish and then demonic and the word there is devilish and it means demon-like or of the devil i looked it up and so this is how it works it's earthly it's human soul it's not of god and therefore it becomes demonic did everybody catch that and so how let me ask you this how many places Today, overall, I mean, around the world, but throughout America, how many places today are things run just like the world? They're not spirit led. It's run like a business. It's run like the world. And it only plays on the human emotions and intellect. It's only soulish level. And then consequently, it can become even demonic. That's dangerous, isn't it? But that's the cycle that happens when you deal with it being of the world and it's of the the sinful, soulish man. It becomes demonic. And that's what happens with, with witchcraft. The Bible talks about manipulation, intimidation, and control. That's the way the world operates. And when people start operating in that in the flesh, then it slips into the demonic pretty quickly. So as I said before... We have to have true discernment. We've got to discern false apostles versus the true. We've got to discern true prophets versus the false. We've got to discern between the the true teachers or the false. And even in the church, I mean, even in places like this right now, you have to think about, because I've seen it before, where people grow up in church and they know about the Lord. And they never really give their life fully to Him. They don't repent. They don't change. And over time, they're gone. And the others stay with... I mean, you know... So, it's the the soulish and the demonic versus the real. Cain's religion, which is just bored with God, really, versus the real. So, in the end, this is going to produce... Abel's religion will produce a bride... But that's why there's going to be a great falling away, and it's already happening right now. Because John's First John says, those that went out from among us were never really of us. By their departure, they made it known that they were not of us. So there's going to be this bride for Christ versus the harlot church, which is a bride for the Antichrist. I wonder how many people that are in church this weekend... Should the rise of the Antichrist happen soon, the false prophet emerge, how many of them will sell out and they'll take the mark of the beast and they'll become the bride of the Antichrist and never even think anything of it? So you've got this bride for Christ and the bride of the Antichrist. The true church versus the harlot church. See, the garments of the harlot in Revelation 17 Look like something that would be Roman Catholic or something, doesn't it? I mean, you've got this beautiful purple and scarlet and adorned with all these fine jewels and pearls and this golden cup and and it's... But yet, what did God give Adam? Humble garments. Think about what I'm saying. There's revelation in what I just said. People can be outwardly look righteous but be full of dead men's bones. But the true people of God will outwardly be, there'll be a humility about them. And again, as I've already said, there's a martyr. Abel was a martyr versus a murderer. Cain was a murderer. So what is God's remedy to deal with this? The spirit of Elijah. In the days of Jezebel, and the harlot church, God sent an Elijah. What is Elijah? What is the spirit of Elijah? So in Revelation it says the seven spirits of God, but there's not seven different Holy Spirits, there's one Holy Spirit but when He comes, He comes in His sevenfold manifestation. He comes as the Spirit of the Lord, wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And once the Holy Spirit comes in His fullness like that, as a full flame, He's coming as the Spirit of Elijah and we would say the Spirit of revival. So what is God's remedy to deal with this separation of the true versus the false, the harlot versus the true church and to to deal with sin and to break the power of Jezebel's witchcraft over people he sends Elijah he sends revival and the message of Elijah was a message of repentance if you want to see the ministry of the spirit of Elijah look at John the Baptist he prepared the way for Christ to come in he called people to repentance his message was hard but it was a message requiring repentance repentance And there was a fiery anointing on him. And so this is what I close with and I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that God is sending revival in these last days. But here is the things I'm seeing. From our spiritual mothers and fathers, I've preached on this before. Some of you might remember, but God has given ancient boundary stones in the book of Proverbs. It says, do not move in ancient boundary stones set up by your father's. And I'm, I'm concerned because there's ancient boundary stones of basic fundamental doctrines, the, the basic understanding of holiness and righteousness, the difference between the holy and the profane, understanding things that we should just understand. It's basic stuff that these things are being these boundary stones are being moved by some people in certain places. And there's things that's being permitted in this last day Laodicean church that has not been permitted in times past. I'm just telling you. Some of you are old enough and been in church long enough that you know that there's things going on in the modern church that would have never been tolerated by the church You know, 30 years ago. It just wouldn't have been tolerated by whether it's Pentecostals or Baptists. It would not have been tolerated. But yet it's being celebrated in the Laodicean church. Ancient boundary stones being moved. I'm also concerned because I think about Jeremiah 6.16. Thus says the Lord stand by the ways and see. And ask for the ancient paths. Where the good way is and walk in it. And you'll find rest for your souls. But they said we will not walk in it. And I said a watchman of you saying listen to the sound of the trumpet. And they didn't listen. So there's a warning to be on this ancient path. The path of holiness. The path of the righteous. It's a path that's a good path. And God is saying, look, your spiritual mothers and fathers walked on this path. Walk in it. It's the good way. You'll find rest for your souls. You'll have truth there. It's a highway of holiness. But yet some are saying, I'm not going to walk in that path. In Malachi 4, verse 5, and now we're going to pray here in a moment. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he'll restore the hearts of the fathers, their children, hearts of children, their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the lamb with a curse. See, the spiritual fathers that's gone on before us and the spiritual children of today, there's got to be an honoring of them and their convictions and what they had with God and understanding what they understood with God. Now, I think about people like Leonard Ravenhill. And there's many that I could say. I mean, in many ways, Luna Ravenhill was a spiritual father to me and to many. And in many ways, I think of people like the teachings and the prayer ministry of Dr. Cho. And, and I think about the faith and the healing ministry, people like Kenneth Hagin and the teaching and the deliverance ministry of Derek Print. There's many. I mean, there's several. I could mention not the least of which Steve Hill's ministry. But you have to honor and respect what they have with God and the heart the hearts of the children have to be turned to the hearts of the fathers and mothers and and, and see because people have gotten away from that it's almost like the land becomes cursed want you think about this for a moment cuz this is all too common in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex anyway back in the nine, 80s and 90s you could go through here and there were several powerful churches where God moved the gifts were in operation Testimonies of healings and miracles. Common. Deep teaching of the word of God. Powerful ministries. Ministries that that affected not only the region. But had national and even international influence. Time has gone on. And now it's like the leadership changed. And they went a different direction altogether. Got totally away from those things. And because they left it now it's like it died spiritually and yet it superficially may look a certain way it looks good because of the programs and things going on but spiritually there's no power there anymore listen I want to have a place where people could come hungry for God and experience God's presence they could come and they really need to be delivered of something and they can get set free they can come and need healing from something and get healed they, they the gifts are in operation. They can come and really get a word from God. The The gifts of the Spirit are in operation. The power of God is present. But see, they, people have gotten away from that. You know, I think about when Jesus ministered, his ministry in many ways was so simple. I mean, he preached the truth, he healed the sick, and he cast out demons. Yet, ever since the ministry of Jesus Christ, man has always been tr- trying to like improve on it or something. We can make it better. We can do it better. And they, met, they mess it up every time, 100% of the time. Why? Because they're not doing it the simple way he did it. You know, I look at it like this. You just get up, you read the Bible, you just get up and preach it straight and then pray for people and expect things to happen. I mean, God's still healing people. He's still delivering people. And how many have been healed of something since you've been a Christian at some point in time in your life? And how many remember it and appreciate that? How many have been delivered from something? Okay, how many of you have, have since been baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues? And you feel, you feel that. I mean, God's done a deep work in you. See, that's what our fathers of the faith had with God. There, there's nothing to improve on there. It's not like, well, we used to do that, so now, now we're going to have all these programs and things. No, you're not improving on it. You're messing it up. But that's what they think they're doing. We need to get back to the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of the power of God, just book of Acts Christianity. And people come down and they get saved and they repent of their sins and their lives are transformed. I, I want to pray for people tonight and I believe God's going to touch you. But I want us to close our eyes where you're at. Does I want you to close your eyes where you're at and I want you to think about something tonight. As I've seen through the years, I've seen something that... Just make sure tonight that there's a humility, a genuineness about your faith, that you really know the Lord. Because sometimes, I'm just telling you, I've seen this over and over and over. There'll be a really good group of people, but sometimes there's a couple that just have never really given their life to the Lord. They've never really surrendered. And I'd say to some of the young people, you better be careful because the day is going to come that a lot's going to be required of you from God. Have you really accepted my son? Have you really repented of your sin and have you really surrendered things to me? And the Lord's going to require that of you. Right now you're young enough to maybe get away with some things, but there'll come a time that that won't be the case. And let me tell you, you need to make sure that you really know the Lord and keep yourself pure. Some of you that are stuck in in schools that are that are not very godly, you better keep yourself pure. And so, Lord, I just pray for those that are here, and I want you to really get serious with God for a moment and think about this tonight. Those that are watching online, that are listening, those that are going to hear this, don't just let this go past you. Stop for a moment and think about it. And, Father, I pray tonight by the Holy Spirit that there is a genuine conviction that's strong enough to get through to every person. Lord, I pray the fear of God will remain on them. They will not be able to shake it off. They won't be able just to kind of pray it off like people do. And then they leave out. They just don't let that happen. Let this be strong enough to really cut them to the heart and stay with them. But I want you to think about tonight, if you sincerely were to leave out of here, and God forbid something happened because it does to people, that there was some type of a car wreck that was unexpected, and you were dead. I mean, you were dead. Brought to the uh morgue and there you were, I mean you were dead. Are you absolutely sure that you're gonna go straight to heaven? Or do you have some questions about that? And you say, Pastor, I'm not sure. I don't really know for sure. You better get it right tonight, okay? And really pray and seek the Lord. Now once you do that where you're at, if my can you come up and play the keyboard just really quietly for a moment? I want you to pray where you're at about it. Because I can lead you in a prayer and I can do all this stuff. But listen, this is something that you need to make sure. And you need to talk to the Lord tonight and say, Jesus, just turn that down, please. Jesus, I need to make sure things are right. Forgive me. I know things have not been right. I know that deep down I'm not really the way I need to be. I haven't been living like I need to live. When you die, nothing else is going to matter except if you're really right with Jesus. That's all that's going to matter. So I want you to pray where you're at tonight, everybody, just to yourselves and get things right with Jesus. And I'm going to pray to Lord, we thank you tonight. Jesus, you came, you took all that abuse in your body. And Lord, I thank you tonight for the fear of the Lord, the conviction of the Holy Spirit to come upon people strong those that are listening and watching, that they're arrested by the Spirit of God. And Lord, that you would begin to convict and deal with things. Help us to see the way we really are. Maybe some need to have encounters or something that shakes them to the core. But Lord, deal with it. And tonight we ask you, Jesus, to forgive us. If things have not been right between us and you, forgive us. Lord, Forgive us for our hypocrisy. Lord, forgive us for just going through the motions and not really being real. And maybe even hindering other people that are trying to get real, that are trying to be real. Forgive us, Lord, where we have not been what we need to be. We confess it tonight as sin. We repent. Lord, change us. Let us truly be born of you. Let the Spirit of God enter us. Lord, give us an imputed righteousness. Put in us tonight a love for what you love and a hatred for what you hate, a love for the truth. Lord, do something in us tonight that's eternal. Transform our lives. And even, Lord, tonight as I pray with people, Lord, me just praying with people is one thing. But, Lord, let there be a move of the Holy Spirit in them that they will never be the same, that it will melt every hardened place, it will convict every sin. Lord, it will truly change people. Let a fire come into them. Lord, I thank you for what you did in my life back in the days in the 90s revivals. I remember being baptized in fire and I remember that fire coming into me and God, you convicted everything in my life and changed me. Lord, I thank you for releasing that fire in this generation. Lord, that people be so deeply convicted and changed. They'll never be the same. And like they said about the Hebridean revival, Duncan Campbell said years, years, years later, we heard almost nothing of backsliding because of how deep the work of God was in people. They truly were transformed. And because of that, they stay faithful to the Lord. And that is the difference between Abel versus Cain. Abel, that produces a faithful bride that will stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ to the end. Even if it causes them to be a martyr, they'll be faithful. So, just where you have finished praying, talking to him tonight. Lord, I need to get things right with you. Change me. I repent. I confess my sins. I've been prideful. I've been stubborn. I've been rebellious. I've been lustful. I've been selfish, just living for myself. The hypocrisy there, forgive me, Lord, I repent. Cleanse me. feel the Holy Spirit saying that something has birthed already. You guys remember Brother Ralph and what he said? Something has birthed already. It's already beginning. It's like the cloud the size of a man's hand. Elijah spoke that he heard the abundance of rain. There was nothing. There was no cloud. But he began to pray into it. And that cloud the size of a man's hand began to come. Something has already begun. It's a new season. There's a new move of God, a new move of the Holy Spirit. And God is doing something new and fresh in you, river of life. It's time. And I believe God's going to open something up. But I just feel the Holy Spirit saying that it's already begun. The wind of the Lord is already blowing. You can feel it tonight. Something's up. But, Lord, we thank you for it. And I pray, Lord, we're going to go through and pray for people. Lord, you touch people. Lord, we thank you for the gifts in operation. We thank you, Lord, for healing people, delivering people, refreshing and empowering. But tonight, what I'm concerned about is that there be a fire of the Holy Spirit go in. Lord, I thank you for this. That will change people. And just like we saw tonight, they'll, it'll burn out anything of Cain. And it's going to produce an enable a heart for God, that loves God, to be faithful, to be a true bride of Christ, that's so radically on fire, they're willing to die for their faith. Lord, do that in us tonight in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. All right, we're going to go through and pray for people.